Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to Darren Brown. He's a bit different from the usual guests we have here on Stagecraft. He's not quite an actor or a writer or a director, or maybe he's all of those things all at once. He's a mentalist and illusionist who performs regularly in the UK, including runs on the West End. He's written books, and he has a series of specials on Netflix. In 2017, his show Secret wowed audiences at Off-Broadway's Atlantic Theatre Company. And this fall, he's back, reprising Secret on Broadway in a run that starts previews September 6th. Brown is here with me to tell us about the theatrics of magic, the magic of theatre, and why he's banned from every casino in the UK. Hi, Darren. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for being joined by me. (laughs) So your work is not the most traditional kind of theater, but it is obviously highly theatrical. And you actually start off uh, the show Secret talking about stories and Mm. how we tell ourselves stories and Mm. also how they're wrong. But uh, how do you think of your work in relation to more traditional theaters? Because you're often performing Mm. on uh, on these stages where... You know, like there was a play uh, in this theater that you just saw uh, that uh, you're about yeah. to perform in. So. Yeah, King Lear. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm sort of got. I feel like I've got feet in different feet in different pies to mix mm-hmm. up uh, metaphors mm-hmm. helpfully. Um, so I one one part of me is is a, this sort of mentalist magician figure, um, but I think I've grown out of the initial urge you have as a magician of any sort, which is to impress people. That it's the quickest, most fraudulent route to impressing others. Um so uh <laughs> as I've as I've grown up, I think I had to take it to a different place. I had to take it to somewhere that was um I think just better drama. I um mm. I it, it I don't I don't worry about whether is what I'm doing sure. theatre or this or is it art or is it whatever. But I do think what's important is um is drama now? This is a conversation I've had with Teller quite a lot of, of Penn and Teller. Uh, yeah. He he made the point that if you're a, if you're a magician of any sort, and you're making you can make stuff happen by clicking your fingers, you're sort of a god figure. So that dramatically, that's not very interesting. We find heroes interesting, obviously, and but hero means you you have to suffer, and there's sort of a challenge of some sort, and et cetera, et cetera. So I've uh, so that makes magic generally, I think, quite bad theatre, mm. and over the years. <laughs> With my stage work, I've I've toured every year in England for maybe the last I don't know eighteen nineteen years or so, and also have a number of TV shows. Right. Too. So. Taught um, who and pardon? where? Taught who and where? Taught. 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 Oh, taught. Sorry. Okay. It's my charming accent. Yeah. No. Taught. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Yes. <laughs> I have toured every year. Been yeah. on tour. Um. So as I've grown up, uh, it it the the. I found a way of making the TV dramatically more sound. The stage shows have kind of um. Still have a little bit of that kind of look at me feel because it's kind of unavoidable. Um, right. But I try and make the try and make the shows about the audience and try and make them about something that is. Peter Brook 
you used to talk about a, a kernel that you leave a you leave a you should leave a play with a kernel of something that you take away. If it's right. spelt out too much, then it's sort of just like a more of a political tract than a, than a piece of theatre. You want right. to work it out for yourself. You want to have a kernel. So I, I try and leave a sort of a kernel of something. Beyond that, I don't worry too much. I just try and blow the heads off the audience. Do you, <laughs> do you uh, have a... Were you a theatre kid or something? I mean, you obviously know about theatre and have an understanding of performance. You just mentioned Peter Brook. Nobody uh, nobody mentions Peter Brook. <laughs> I can mention him again. A little bit like. of... No, <laughs> like... Um, you, you, this might be the first mention of Peter Brook on this podcast. You'll be happy I thank to you. know, so... Um, the, was that a were you a theater kid did you see what's no, your sense of sort of what, are, what no. a good performance is? i am i didn't start going to the theater i was i'm a law graduate i'm so i studied yeah. law and german in um at bristol university in england and i started watching uh, there was a very very good shakespeare troupe in in this city of bristol in the west of england and uh i think outside of you know school trips i think that was really when i first started to go and i just been in love with um, the, the tragedies in particular. I've, uh, the histories I've never quite made my peace with, and the comedies are very rarely funny. But the uh, tragedies, I, I just—they were great. They were great, great productions of them, and they just broke me every time. I, every time I went to them, so I think my my love of it all started quite late. And now I see, I see a fair amount. Um, I end up going to musical theatre a lot. I have a lot of friends in musical theatre. I don't particularly like musical theatre. Not yet. So I end up not yet. So I end up seeing a lot of them, and uh, more I mean, out of proportion to actually how much it generally interests me. Although having said that, I've seen some great things because of that. But I, yeah, I, now in England, I, I in London, there's a you know it's a great scene for that. And of course now I'm here on Broadway, so. Right. I hopefully on my Monday nights and right. occasional Sunday nights will go and see things. <laughs> and when did you? Uh, were you intending to be a lawyer? Were uh, an attorney? When did you? No. Well, uh, I didn't. When want did to be you a discover lawyer. magic? I guess I did not want to be a lawyer or a German. I um, <laughs> I saw a hypnotist perform in my first year, so I was um, twelve. <laughs> I was I was nineteen or so, eighteen, nineteen, and I um, I saw this guy perform, and it was it was a hypnosis show, but it wasn't making people look stupid, which is the normal route they right. go. So I came home and just thought, well, I'm, do you I'm, not do that consciously? Make people look stupid. Do you do you avoid making people look stupid or steer away from? Because oh, I yeah. never feel I never felt stupid watching Secret, which I feel like I feel yeah. stupid all oh, the no, time no. watching audience. Well, it's not a hypnosis things. show. I mean, I, so well, I started, that's true. But... Yeah, I started off as a hypnotist, right. and because the only hypnotist I'd seen was a was a kind of a it was a really fun show, but it was it was grown up. No, nobody was being right. you know made to look ludicrous. Which of course made it much funnier because you were laughing out of amazement rather than right. oh it's funny because someone's simulating sex with a mop or something right. that's that's only as funny as that is whereas right. jaw-droppingly all i can do is laugh because i can't believe why somebody i remember a guy couldn't remember the number seven so he's counting his fingers and he keep, keeps counting to 11 and can't understand why and it just it was just sort of amazing so i came home deciding right i'm gonna i will learn how to do that and i i did so i borrowed and stole every book i could find on the subject practice with all the students around me um and now it's only really a Part of what I do. Yeah, I was going to say, how much is hypnot what is considered hypnotism? Yeah, related to what we see on stage now. It's. I don't use it overtly, uh, but I the, the the sort of technology behind it, the suggestion behind it, is something I use a lot, and I mix those suggestive and hypnotic techniques with the techniques of the magician, which was my other, which became my kind of main way of earning money. 
uh, for most of my kind of early career. Right. Because the trouble with hypnosis is there's only, only certain environments you can present it in a mature way. Otherwise, it's just, you know, it is making people have sex with mops. Right. So I didn't want to do that. <laughs> so I actually spent most of my time doing close-up card magic and things around. Well, you know, tables. I was just going to ask what how you think of what you do in relation to card tricks or making the Statue of Liberty disappear or yeah. making somebody float or sign Yeah, a it's definitely a different like, world. Well, yeah. the, the technical term for it is mentalism. Yep. When I started doing it, which was maybe 20 years, uh, more, what am I talking about, 30? Where are I? Yeah, about I'm 48 now. Um, yes, I know. I don't, I don't no, you don't look at it. You don't look at day over. Very kind, you're very kind. Very expensive moisturizer. <laughs> I, um, um, I, uh, there were maybe I only knew of four other people that did it, um, so I started doing it because I thought it was more interesting to tell someone what they were thinking of than to you know find their card in a deck of cards, whatever. So, uh, and then the TV, my TV career happened a little while after that, and it became quite popular. And I think there's a lot more mentalists now, and that's I think mainly my fault. Um, in the same way that David Blaine were doing his street magic, right. created a whole generation of magicians doing magic in a much cooler way than it was than it was done before um but you so, started performing yeah. live i'm guessing before the tv thing happened is that yeah right, well, i was, I was a sort that? of a bit of a jobbing magician that okay. you might hire for your events doing occasional hypnosis shows and i'd written a couple of books for magicians right and i was interested in bringing these two areas together to form this sort of psychological weird mix of mind magic and and yeah so mentalism is the technical term right. there's many of them around well there are more of them around than there were before and it's um but it's a very odd uh area that means different things to different people so i guess you could in that category you could put your charlatan psychics and also a magician a conjuring magician doing a sort of a trick with a mind reading theme so there's right. a broad range of of um of people that could apply to that label mentalism and how do you tell us about the, this show, A Secret, mm. and how you sort of conceive mm. it? Because is it is it arranged around a theme you're interested in getting at? Is it arranged around a series of acts that you feel like you want to string together? I, tell us a little bit about sort of how it's, those things go together. It's a bit of both. So I've been that I've been touring for about eighteen years or something in in the UK, and um, when the opportunity of coming here came up, first at the Atlantic. First at the Atlantic, that's right. Um, doing a show at the Atlantic off-Broadway first, which was a couple of years ago. It made sense. Well, let's take the best bits from each show and form a show out of that. So if I may never hit this point again, but it's like on paper at least is the best show I've done. Um, so uh, there was that on the one hand in terms of that sort of um, the content of the show and the things I'm doing in it. Um, but the shows have always been about something other than just look at me, look at the clever things I can do. So this, this show is about ultimately about the stories that we tell ourselves. I think that, that any sort of magic, cause it's so, cause it's rooted in cheating, uh, or it's rooted in, um, somebody just sort of posturing and trying to impress you. I think it, it suffers because of that. And it's, um, it's not generally taken Seriously, which is sort of makes sense. It, it is a very childish urge, as I said, to impress people. But I think at its heart, it is, it is interesting because it's a great analogy for how we live in the world and the stories that we form. If a magician shows you a card trick and you go, you go away with the story of what happened. Well, I, me, I thought of a card and then I looked through the deck and it wasn't there and it was in my pocket. That's impossible. How did that happen? And then as you, 
tell other people that story because you don't want to look like a schmuck yourself fooled by something easy. You start to exaggerate it a little and your own memory becomes confused. Um, and you end up with a story that's very uh, convincing. But what, the, what you've done is you've edited a real, uh, an actual story. The, the idea that the hand is quicker than the eye is a bit of a myth. Normally, the secret to what's happening is happening right in front of you, but you aren't paying attention to it because you don't think it's important because the magician isn't seeming to make it important. Um, so, and this is what happens in life all the time. We have this infinite data source coming at us. There's an infinite number of things that we could be thinking about or paying attention to. But we choose what to pay attention to. We edit and delete, and we make up this story about what's happening to make sense of what's going on. Of course, we have to do that because otherwise we couldn't really ever navigate the world at all. But perhaps nowadays more than ever, an awareness that these are just narratives. And that includes, by the way, the idea of owning your narrative, which is, you know, kind of a, a bit of a sort of cliche at the moment. But that is still just another story. The very idea of a, of a narrative, the idea of, you know, being huddled around a fire telling a story, which is sort of at its heart what that image is, is in its inherent coziness is shutting out a world that exists further away, outside of that sort of, you know, firelit clearing, a whole world of things that are being excluded. And, of course, that's what a magician's doing. There's all this other stuff going on you don't know about, but he's making you tell yourself a certain story. So I think it resonates. I think there is actually something really valuable about magic, but it's not very often uh, tapped into. So that, that, for me, is ultimately the heart of the show apart from all the sheer fun and mayhem of it. Yeah. And how do you think about structuring a show in terms of pacing and, you know, what order you do the mm. acts and what do you call them? Acts, tricks? Or, uh, yeah, yeah. Things, do, routines. Yeah, routines. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. Um, Pieces, I suppose. Yeah. Um, well. Uh, I mean, is it like a traditional sort of storytelling build, except in a more in a mood, like mood board kind of way? It sort of there's, there's a, there's, a lot more structure to it than you're aware of normally mm. until you get to the end and then you realize, ah, you know, there was, there right, was more right. going on here than I thought. Um, hopefully, hopefully people think that. Um, so there's, yes, there's a, there's a lot of threads that are being tied together. There's, uh, pacing is hugely important. Light and shade and pacing is a, is a huge part of, of, um, mm getting the thing right, which again, I think is lost. I, I work with the director, which is- Yeah, I was just going to ask about yeah. that. You work it's kind with of a unusual in the world of magic. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that, so that helps enormously. We've, we've worked together since, since day and one. And where does he come from? Was he come from the theater? Or is he a, and, Well, I have two directors, Andrew yeah. O'Connor and Andy Nyman. Mm -hmm. um, so they have both uh, worked with me from the first day of making TV, which for me was 2000. So we've worked, right. the three of us have worked very closely together on everything I've done from, from day one. And others have come and gone, but it's been the three of us at, at the core. So they're both from the world of magic. They're both from the world of okay. theater. Andy Nyman is um, an actor who at the moment is playing Tevye and Fiddler on the Roof in a great production in, um, in London. Oh, great. Um, not only is he doing that, his own um, stage show that he wrote uh, called uh, Ghost Stories and starred in, and I mm. believe co-directed, I believe co-directed, and co-wrote co and co-directed, I believe, mm. um, which is a huge hit and has, and has been a big movie as well. That's reopening again mm. uh, in the West End, and he has this show right. opening in Broadway. I don't know if that's right. ever happened uh, to anybody. <laughs> uh, it's quite a hat trick. Uh, so that's Andy Nyman, who's a dear friend and a phenomenal actor, and Andrew O'Connor, is my co-producer, so he runs the production company as well that sort of is behind these things with me. And um, he's also from the world of magic and has also directed a number of shows and any number of 
magicians along the way. So yeah, we're a kind of it was it's a perfect little um, group for this sort of project. And do you think of the build of your show as you sort of string these routines together in terms of? I mean, yeah. it must be a choice which one you do last, right? You want to, you sort of build to and what sort of, how do you think about the progression of those? Uh, well, we've sort of found a bit of a um, a sort of, not exactly a template, but a sort of a structure that, that works. The first half is uh, a sort of uh, a fun thing and a big warm up. And then the second half uh, is slightly longer form pieces and gives the sort of maybe the real heart of the show um, is a thing often used in musicals that, you know, the first number after the interval, you've got to allow for the fact people might not have come back in yet. So yeah. nothing really happens. It's just a bit of a fun thing that warms everybody up sure. and then the, nothing really progresses until the next number. So um, I think it was only reading, I think I was, it wasn't, I remember, was it Fossey or sometime? I don't know what, somebody talking about one of those, yeah, um, one of those things. I thought, oh, okay, yeah. we kind of do that as well. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's all those things of sort of warming up and massaging the audience a little as well. And then what is important, what we've always tried to do is over-deliver. So the show hopefully does exceed expectations right. and leave people on a, on a, on a high. Um, but other than that, yeah, we've sort of found a, an approach, which we've really subverted. I've done a lot of shows, so we've subverted it um, very consciously a few times in a slightly more sort of experimental mode. But largely there's a, there's a, a thing that I find just works uh, works well, and yeah, it's it's a lot of it is to do with pacing and to do with what you. I think you have to earn certain things as a as a performer, if it's, especially with a one man show, and especially if you're not known. I mean, the things that I can do in England now because I'm known are different from an audience that don't know me in terms of what you just sort of earn. I mean, there are certain things like you know. You don't appear to be enjoying the show more than the audience. You know, oh, that was, wow, this has been great tonight. You've all been amazing, all those things that, right. uh, there are certain things you just, you, you, you know, just strike the wrong note. So there's um, a lot of it's that. It's what I've done before, how far that's brought the audience. It's a, it's a, it's a strange thing. The entire show happens in the minds of the audience. Everything happens in, in your head as an audience member. That's, so if you're watching a play, I guess the performance is somewhere between audience member and actor so if it goes over your head doesn't mean the play's failed it maybe just means you you know you might have just missed something um if you're a composer and i've had this conversation with many mm. performers if you're if you're a sorry musician then the performance is probably somewhere between you and the composer and the audience are probably sort of incidental if you're a classical cellist say for mm -hmm. example with what i do it's all in the minds of the people sat there and the show is very much about them it's very much about the audience it's not really about me looking clever it's about the audience and my toolkit is the, what's going on in their head, their sort of ongoing perceptions. So therefore, the structure of the show and the way it's put together is constantly about second-guessing what that experience is. There is no room for anything, you know, going over your head or boring you a little. Or, I mean, there's room for making people uncomfortable, I suppose, but that's, that's, uh, that's it. And there is so it's uh, a really long waffling answer. I do I do this. I'm very good at long waffling. No, answers. But, <laughs> but that's interesting. And you talk yeah. quite a bit to the audience, and that you bring yeah, yeah, people on yeah. stage. Like there's a yes. a ton of audience interaction, which yeah. makes some traditional theater goers uh, mm. roll their eyes or flee. <laughs> yes, or yes. what would you it's say? Cheap that, theater. Yeah, it's exactly. cheap theater. It's cheap theater. Exactly. What do they? Not when it what, comes to the actual ticket prices. I what, <laughs> what would you say to those? 
potentially wary audience members who to assuage them about. Oh, I, I I see it a lot on sort of Twitter and so on. I've always had people say, "Oh, I don't want to come. I don't want to get involved because there is a lot of audience participation." Yeah. The answer is very simple. I throw frisbees out to choose people. Yeah. So if you don't want to take part and you happen to catch a frisbee, you just pass it to the person next to you. I would hate to come up. I yeah. I'm, I hate any sort of um, involvement on stage unless. Unless I really sort of love the performer, and that's part of your job on stage, I think, if you are asking people up to make sure that that's a comfortable right. um, thing. But um, but yeah, there's no no there's no there's no compulsory involvement at all. But it is it is absolutely a show of people getting involved. Yeah, yeah. which is yeah, it's kind of um, it's kind of cheap theatre in a way. But and how good. but how variable is the show from night to night? Uh, very much so. Very much so. Okay. I have a, so based I based on the. Audience members, so, you... Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I kind of follow the same structure every night, and there are some bits that are absolutely set, although they wouldn't necessarily feel like that. It's a very interesting show to see a second time, mm. which I really recommend. Um, I, I will. I haven't had a chance. We haven't started previews yet, but uh, uh, although it's been a couple of years since I saw it the last time. So, oh, you have seen yeah. it? Yeah. Well, I saw it at, at the Atlantic, yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. So, yeah, it's the kind of thing that, if you watch it again, some bits that appeared, oh, they were only happening that night. Oh, they obviously happen every night. And other bits that right. felt like they must happen every night, you realize, oh, he was just winging that the night I saw it. So that's, that's, I guess that's kind of interesting. Um, but yes, it is, it is very, it is varied because I have to, I mean, it's lovely as a performer because you, I can never just settle back into it. I'm never just repeating lines. I'm never just going through the same thing again. It's, it's, in terms of being on your toes and being alive. It sounds a little bit like improv in terms of. It is a little bit like that, yeah. Um, but equally, at the same time, there's a deep sense of structure and there's a, 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 I have to make sure I hit certain points. Otherwise the show doesn't, show doesn't work. It'll just sort right. of fail and the things I need to do, I won't be able to do. So it's, um, it's like I'm juggling a lot of plates, yeah. but without making it obvious that I'm juggling anything, right. trying to make it look like I'm just walking around casually, but there's a huge amount you, of right. juggling going on. Do you, are you surprised often by what the things that happen on stage? Um, or at this point, I'm always are there delighted. Sort of, like okay. I, I find it delightful. There's something lovely about, and particularly in America, because I think, I think you guys are just uh, guys and gals and non-binary pals are <laughs> um, just so much more um, sort of effervescent and and comfortable on stage and able to talk about. Um, your, yourselves and your experiences and things, which, which I, you know, I, I invite people to do that. And that's right. very lovely doing that here. It's often a bit awkward in England. And another thing I noticed in the Atlantic, which is only maybe a, a 200 seater, I think the, yeah. the noise and the response was so far and above the 2000 seaters that I play in, in London, because in London or in, in England, generally speaking, there's a sort of, um, there's a, 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 a wodge, a homogenous wodge of a response, a gasp or a, uh, a laugh or a something. There's like a group response. And there in the Atlantic, it was 200 people narrate, each of them like narrating their own experience. Fuck, no way. Did you see? There was this, and I, uh, there is no English equivalent to that. Right. I was genuinely taken aback. I, 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 I don't know what it would be. We just don't sort of don't do that. And that's amazing as a performer. I mean, that, that, that thing of the audience energy is absolutely true. It's like, it's like telling a joke and the difference between, of telling a funny story, the difference between people laughing and just staring at you. That you know, makes a huge difference. It feeds back into how you tell the story. So it makes a real difference. Um, and it was incredible. So what, I don't know what that's going to be like in a, uh, in a, you know, a thousand, whatever it is, 1200 seater that the court is. And how integral is the setting to the tricks working? Like, c- could, 
could how, is it how important is it to be surrounded by an audience as you are talking to someone uh, you know there was, yeah like, there was some how, yeah there how much were, is the is the setting involved in why the trick works um well there are some things that involve large numbers of people so obviously that's right. that's helpful but there is as i said my kind of toolkit is the the stories that are in people's heads so psychologically what's happening to them and what happens to you in front if, if you're invited up on stage in front of an audience of a thousand people is a very different situation than if we just sat here like this right. so there's a lot of things that i can do on stage because there is this slightly bewildered and therefore hyper suggestible mode that people move into and they come up on stage right. that's sort of invisible to the audience i mean we we feel a sort of um a vicarious kind of i don't know an, an empathy for people that are coming up but it's uh it's it's a particular mode that people enter into and that's very helpful for me mm. and that, that only works on stage there's definitely some things that take me a lot longer to get working if i'm doing them in real life I say real life as in like off the stage. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, well, that uh, leads to a question, which is how often do you use your powers in real life? I don't. In terms I, of I, steering the coffee guy to make your coffee right or something. Yeah, no, I, well, I, when I first started, I was definitely kind of the guy that had to show people tricks all the time to impress them. And I didn't, like a lot of magicians, it becomes a, um, a surrogate for any kind of social skills. Um, <laughs> And you often sense that in, in middle-aged magicians, right? A sense <laughs> right. of the lonely child somewhere in the background. Um, so there was, I, I've very much moved away from that. So I never show anybody anything in real life. I really just save it for the, um, save it for the stage. And have you thought about using the same kind of, uh, thought processes or ideas or your sort of philosophies, uh, in, I don't know, because what you do in terms of steering people's attention and mm. like pointing them one way and then surprising them in another direction, that's a thing a writer does, you know, yeah. for who writes, I don't know, whatever you want to write, a mm. novel, a, mm. a, a play, a, a theater, a movie. Is there anything, have you ever thought about using the way you think uh, in that direction? Well, I do enjoy, I'm, I'm, I'm writing is a big part of uh, yeah. of, of my um, of my time and I, I enjoy it Uh Hugely, it's just a matter of time. I think with what I do with the stage and TV, it takes so much of the year that what I've got left, I donate to, uh, or I devote rather, and donate to, um, to 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 writing. And I'm working on a while I'm doing the show in the evenings here. I'm spending the days writing a follow up book to this book on happiness. Okay. Yeah, 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 and that's lovely. That's a really lovely, it's uh, a really lovely rhythm to have. But I think I think generally it I, I, it serves me in terms of. Because life is ultimately about how you connect, isn't it? And how you contribute. And um, I think where it is useful is I'm probably a more helpful friend, more helpful partner. I'm, I, I've probably got a better instinct for how to help in those situations more than maybe I would have done otherwise. Because often our natural instincts, you know, say your partner comes home after a stressful day and it just needs to offload it's so instinctive to say essentially oh well that's probably they probably only meant this i'm sure it's fine and of course what you're doing is you're saying once again you are not being heard you spent your whole day not being heard and that's why you're angry and frustrated you're now coming home and i'm not hearing you now either um i'm telling you everything's fine when obviously it isn't um so i think there's a given again that all, all i'm about is what's going on in somebody's head i think sometimes i find that is useful as a real life skill but in terms of like, you know, do you use it to get upgrades? And do you, I am banned from casinos actually in, in the UK. Oh, delightful! Yeah, because I um, but I think I I because um, if you start card counting and so on, which I you know is a very small part of my world, is those kind of gambling techniques. 
So I did spend some time devoted to those. And then once you get on the system, any other casino that uses the same, um, sure, you're on you know, the, security. Yeah, yeah. You're then I suddenly found myself banned from like right. casinos up and down the length of Britain, <laughs> which is quite exciting and yeah. far more exciting than, than the reality. So will you go to casinos here? You're not banned here yet. Well, the sad reality is I'm just not that, not that interested. I was purely, I, need, I needed to learn the techniques of like, you know, are there ways of, are there ways of beating a roulette wheel or is that just, is that huh? just a myth? Are there, what are the, you know, car count? Um, there are, but it's a huge amount of effort over a long period of time for okay. a very small return. Right. So it's not worth it. It doesn't yeah. really work out as being worth it. But were yes. you, were you banned because you walked away with a ton of money from the no, house? No, okay. no, not really. I just, they just, I was just practicing card counting. And right. I mean, yes, I suppose, yes, I did in a sense, but not, not a vast amount. And ultimately that wasn't what did it. It was me going back and going back. Right. That re- raised All suspicions. Right. <laughs> I don't normally talk about this on podcast. <laughs> um, what, are there any themes that you have not yet addressed in your work that you feel like you'd like to address, either in a stage show like oh. you're seeing or in I a book of, I, or on a TV? Special? I sort of go with whatever's interesting to me. So the last TV show I did was on – I have a few shows on Netflix. Yes, and the last did. one uh, is called Sacrifice. And in that show, I take an American uh, Trump supporter who's basically racist and uh, get him to lay down – or get him to the point where he – he lays down his life, or try and get him to this point. Mm. Takes a bullet for a Mexican illegal immigrant. Um, so that's obviously a kind of <laughs> a show for our sort of current time. So I, I try and let them, what I come to do, them sit in whatever feels relevant, either to me and or the rest of the world at, at the time. So I never really think too far ahead. The shows are varied. Um, I had a show a few years ago called Apocalypse, which was ending the world for somebody. Right. It, was, it was a huge project. So the first part was, how do you convince someone the world's going to end? So we, we had cameras in their house for eight months. So the rest of the family's in on it, apart from this one guy. We had control of their television. So we, we made fake news programs with the proper people that do the news and right. so on and fed them into his TV. His phone, we could put fake news into his phone. We had... We could drop things into All people's Twitter terrifying. feeds. <laughs> yeah. All leading to a, a meteor strike happening. And then we, we staged the meteor strike. We ended the world for him. And then he wakes up in a post-apocalyptic, um, zombie infested world where he has to find his, his way home and basically lives through the Wizard of Oz. That's a dark version of the Wizard of Oz when he fi- finds courage, a brain and a heart and finds his way home and essentially learns the stoic lesson. Of not taking for granted what you already have, which right. is, you know, which is what we all do. So the Stoics would practice removing everything, practice poverty in order to value those things when they have them again. Um, so that's essentially what we do to him. Right. Um, so the, the shows have been sort of wild and varied, but there's a, there's a, a, a sort of thing I often do of one person's in the middle of a giant project and they have no idea. It's like a big Truman show set up. They have no idea they're part of a big hidden camera thing. So I've been doing those for many years. On first of all, on Channel Four in the UK, which right. I guess is sort of maybe on I don't know YouTube if they're accessible here, but now on yeah. Netflix. There's, a, there's three shows on Netflix, right. including a recent stage show actually as well. Miracle. Yeah, I noticed that. Miracle. Yeah, Miracle, yeah. which is my yeah. last stage show. So you can right. get a flavor of that too there. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm talking to you a few days before you start uh, previews uh, mm-hmm. on Broadway. What is it? Where well, are we? I mean, okay. it's terrifying. It's a week. Yes, it is. I don't yes, know. I, yeah. uh, I haven't been thinking ahead. Yeah, all beyond the day. Yeah. Um, what? Uh, what do you feel like you need to do between now and that first preview to to get get yourself um, ready? 
I feel very ready. Mm. I uh, I remember once years ago, my manager saying to me, uh, my very first show, stepping out on stage for the very first time, and he came into my dressing room and said, don't forget to have fun, uh, which sounds flippant, but actually it was incredibly useful information I've always gone back to uh, because you can take all those nerves. There's only so much you can do because, again, there's so much you can't control. You can only control your own thoughts and actions, right, which is particularly helpful as a performer, particularly helpful if you're auditioning as an actor as well, you, which Brian Crowe But you are a performer who's... Spoken about. But, it's true. You are a performer who... May, who is trying to control other people's thoughts? Yeah, actions, but there's right? only yeah that is true. But there's right. only so far that can go. Ultimately, sure. ultimately, I'm in the hands of just doing the show. But the important thing, which then gets missed if you're too nervous, mm. is to have fun. So, right. um, I just make sure that when I step out, I'm really enjoying it. Um, having said that, I also like that Mike Nichols had a thing. I think mm. he said to. I think it was Glenn Close. And it's written up in a great book called How to Stop Acting, which is one of the best acting books I've read by a man called Harold Guskin. And uh, Mike Nichols' advice to Glenn Close was to take your day with you on stage. So if you've had a terrible day oh. and you're frustrated because your car's being clamped, yeah, you, yeah. Right? rather than standing in the winds thinking, what, what is my character feeling at this point? Just if you've had a shitty day, take that with you. Step out right. and be angry. It's like, uh, it's a very... It's just a because I mean, firstly, I'll take I'll take anything to make that that show present and real and a one off for that moment. Right. That's why I love knowing if I have friends in or if anybody's in or they're reviewing the show or anything because it just makes that show right. right. I'm doing this is now. This is not a repeat of yesterday's. Um, so I also find that very helpful too. But generally speaking, I just want to be in it and enjoying it. So that's the bottom line. The show itself um, is so ready to go it's just bursting at the seams to get out there so I'm very confident with, with the actual show then it's after that it's just about my own state I guess well we look forward to seeing it and the days you bring on with you uh, thank you very you much, much. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot Darren thanks for talking thanks so much yeah. for having me thank you Gordon that was Darren Brown now in previews on Broadway in Darren Brown Secret which has its official opening night September 15th at the Court Theatre. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of StageCraft, I'd be very grateful if you took a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's a big help. Or tell a friend. I'll be back in two weeks with another new episode. Until then, see you at the theatre. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.